Hey, Simple Facet Capsule listeners. Today, we are going to be doing a coaching call where the topics are going to be withdrawing money from your 401k. Should you do a 529 plan for college savings? If not, what should you do? And a little bit review on infinite banking. I know a lot of you guys um, have been asking about that. If you're like, what the heck is infinite banking? And if you guys want to hang out with more of the folks, just myself and the person you're going to hear on this next coaching call, join us in Hawaii in January. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash 2022 retreat, and we'll see you there. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey folks, okay. he just went to the syndication e-course. Why don't you give people a little context before we get going through some of your questions? Yeah, sure. I'm just looking to understand the syndication and laddering. I jumped in, there's a little bit of a lag before I start cash flowing and I'm dealing with a spouse support. So she's in this wait and see game. I am also looking at my 401k. I'm 41 years old. I'm pretty heavy in my 401k accounts. So what I've been looking at is what's the option as far as borrowing and paying myself interest. And I wanted to see if that's what relates to this infinite banking concept that you've mentioned before in some of your content. And one of my other questions, which I I put these together about a week ago, you posted something about 529 plans and infinite banking. I have two toddlers and I'm, I'm trying to go after, I'm thinking capture this time, this time, my kids are four years old trying to do like a 50% discount on college. So I am heavy in my 529s. How about we come back to the college 529 savings after? Just a, a quick teaser is the 529 plans are like 401ks. 401ks are like investing for the clueless. 529s are essentially the same. Everything we're going to talk about 401ks carries over to 529 plans. I don't know why anybody does it, quite honestly. Just because something's labeled a retirement plan or education plan doesn't mean that's what necessary you should use it. If you just want to do what everybody else does and gets killed and has a bunch of garbage options, go with a 529 plan or 401k. First things first, like taking money out of the 401k retirement plan. Let's kind of talk about that first because it's a very common thing. Most people don't have too much in their checking savings account. Why would you? That's just not a good use of your money. But then they start investing and then now they have to go they start to realize that this alternative investing is real. And now they start to go look for low-hanging fruit. So the order of operations is money in you know, checking and savings, your liquidity, your home equity. Maybe you can get a HELOC or a cash-out refinance. And then in conjunction, somewhere in there, might be tied in order of operations, but your retirement funds possibly getting a loan or just similar to like a HELOC in that you can put it back should all this not work. But most people start to get to this stage and they're like, yeah, screw that 401k stuff. Because the, the issue that I have it is it's retail investments. It's all the stuff they want you to invest in. So they hit you with these high fees, carried interests, Vanguard. I used to be in that stuff a long time ago. And I thought, whoa, was, these are low expense ratios, right? That's nonsense. Like you don't see all the hidden fees behind there, the marketing, the salaries, the expense accounts. And that's the problem with the 401ks you're trapped within that stuff. I do have a HELOC and it's untapped but between the HELOC and the 401k loan. I figure the 401k loan, I think now the maximum borrow is 50% or hundred grand, whatever is lower, I believe. Well, most people take it all up to 80 to hundred percent actually, but no. you must have, what's your house worth now and what do you owe on it? My house uh, is worth about 1.8. 
live in the Bay Area, and I just refied, pulled cash out. I owe about $1 million. Good. So you have a pretty good equity position, which is actually not good in our world because we got to get that moving. There's a lot of people in the family office group that are running around trying to find the best HELOC banks. Usually it's just a community, but usually you can be in like the three, four percent range easily at 80% loan to value. So you have some shopping there to do to go find that community bank. Yeah, I went with my local credit union. And I got a 3.2. You, you could probably do better. It should be a lot lower rate for 50% on the value. You should be able to take it up to 80. But for now, you're good. You're not going to yeah. blow through 500 grand, a million dollars. Mm-hmm. But put this on the docket to be your next three to six month project is go to find that next HELOC that's going to get you 80%. And that'll keep you rolling for another six months to a year, maybe two, depending how yeah. much you want to deploy. Got it. And I, so I just figured though that the 401k borrow would be better for me because I'm paying myself interest. That's Just what like, people say. In theory, paying yourself such a small percentage, that doesn't really matter. You're prepared to pay it to yourself or you pay it, you just throw it down the drain, in my opinion. Again, follow the numbers. All of this stuff is just what you people say. If, if your coworker is saying this type of stuff, you need to stop it and question it. You're paying back yourself the, the interest, but the, what you got to really think about is the sunk cost or the opportunity loss of keeping it in there. All this money is not making anything, right? Especially the... the I don't know. You can make an argument either way, right? What's going to go up the stocks or the house? Both of them is a kind of a crapshoot to me. But most people, they go and raid the home equity first because most people are really skittish about taking money out of their retirement. They say it like that because you'll get really freaked out when you start to do that type of stuff. But if it were me, I would feel a lot more skittish with money in my retirement plan right now because that all that stuff is just pumped with money equity in your home i feel like is a little bit more secure not just because in 2008 real estate went to hell that was a real estate crisis that's what triggered the recession in 2008 but typically right. it's like most times it's a crash in the stock market but home equity values but- I, I agree i think that a hedge on the uh, 401k with the market would be the way to go as, as far as pulling money out of that Here at SimplePassiveCashflow.com, we work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. With so many randals out there, hollow endorsements on crowdfunding websites that just act as broker-dealers taking commission to list syndications on their website, and institutional Wall Street companies out there, who do you trust? We follow a simple formula of working with people we have a direct relationship with while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. The trifecta is simple. First, syndication deals to get two passive losses to unlock other tax best practices, and thirdly, infinite banking. The problem that many astute simple passive cash flow club members find is that syndications typically have a minimum of $50,000 to invest, and frequency of deals is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com/ofund to learn how I always have cash on hand using the American Homeowner Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making an attractive return. I've been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where the fund takes care of operational headaches for you and pulls money together to get bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a slowdown in the economy come, because there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. AHP's latest fund, pre-REO, 
aims to keep people in their homes by investing in notes so you can make a 7% return and feel good about making a positive social impact. Invest as little as $100 by going to preo.com slash investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. And oh, don't forget to join our private investor club. Join us at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Before we move off the house, are you guys going to stay? You got a younger family. Are you guys going to stay in the house for the next five, 10 years? Or? At least 15. Yeah. All I got to say is most people in my community, they say, screw the house. Let me go get a, like a little bit smaller like rental or apartment mm-hmm. that has a really sweet luxury pool. And let me spend my time instead of screwing around in the yard, you know, where somebody else cleans my pool for me. But just saying mm-hmm. Right, because you can yeah. unlock a lot of equity that way. Shoot, with a million dollars of equity right now, you could put into something HP. And I would have put all my money in there, that's for sure. But that could give you a hundred grand passive income a year. That pays for yeah. one, two, three, four kids college today. Yeah. Probably four yeah. college kids in the future. And there you go. That's your five twenty nine plan. Done. But yeah. we all choose to just keep it locked up in our home equity, not doing jack. Doing the home uh, equity loan, pulling money out that way and not yeah. moving. For the time being, that's a great plan. I think you're fine with that for the next couple of years. But if I ask that question and some people have that hint of, hey, I want to move in to a bigger house or smaller house, then I say, move out now and just dump the equity out now. But if if you're going to stay there long, what I would say is just refinance the whole damn thing right now and suck out all the equity, do a cash out refinance, suck it all out as much as you can. But of course, I think you're still in the beginning stages, right? So that's where you want to yeah. use the HELOC a little bit longer to just yeah. you know, make yourself a little comfortable. There. But at some point, you drain the equity because the HELOC can only get you so far. It can only get you to 70, 80% of the value in most cases. Yeah, I will shop that. I'll look into that. And I'll even ask my credit union in the yeah. next month or so. Rates are really good right now too. What do you think about the syndication and the lottery with the development at County Line? And- Developments, I would personally go to more of a stabilized cash flowing asset, especially if you're new to this type of world. You think of in deals in terms of risk adjusted returns, right? Stabilized assets is like buying an existing lemonade stand with existing profit and loss statements. You can see what it runs at, where a development is just a shot in the dark in a way. Technically, if you can build it, there's more margin room for error. But you have to wait a lot longer to see the egg hatch. The way I did it and the way I preach general wealth building to people is start off with singles and base hits. And in Mm -hmm. the syndication, that is more stabilized assets that give cash flow pretty quickly and have lighter value add. Or in the rental property world, for people under half a million dollars net worth, just go buy rental properties one by one, like how I did. Yeah, I think in my situation, though, I I need to be a little bit more passive. I'm not going to go out and buy individual properties. That's what makes your multifamily deals attractive to me because I can be passive. I just have to say it because some ding dong who is a young kid is going to listen to this podcast (laughs) and then think they're going to go into an apartment deal and they have no money. And I, so I have to say that, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you're an accredited investor, in my opinion, people joke about this all the time in my groups. Can you really tell me any good reason to, to own a rental property, dead in your name, the headache, 
the fact that you're getting abused as a remote rental. Let's not get started with all this burr stuff, right? I think the general strategy is going into intermittent deals, spacing it out and just dollar cost averaging. Same technique they taught you with stock market investing. My biggest challenge now is just negotiating it with my spouse because the conventional way to invest is just through these 401ks and these other vessels to invest. I've got to convince her that this is going to pay off and be able to produce some passive income. But my current deal is two years lagged. You screwed uh, yourself. You shouldn't have done that, man. (laughs) I know. I I screwed myself. But uh, I think that county line project is going to be fun to watch, you know, be a part of. This is why I'm going back to the 401k because I think it's a good strategy with Harton negotiating with her. And it's, if I want to retire early, let's use some of my retirement and not really hit the family. Which is just an emotional thing, right? Whether it's retirement or money in your wallet, it's all the money at the end of the day. I think where people get gummed up, they emotionally feel like 401k, Roth IRA, that's your retirement. And I even have like sophisticated investors earmarking things in their own mind that way too. So I get it. They think one is more long-term, one is more short-term, but to me, it's all the same. You figure out what your asset allocation or time horizons are, and money is money. Yeah, that's where my current head is at. And as far as the syndication deals, you have the one presentation coming up today. I think it's Aurora. Do you see the fluctuation or the opportunities to tailing off or increasing? What do you see as far as the market conditions? Right now, the getting's good, right? Because in the re- residential market has gotten really overheated, in my opinion, because of low supply. I think demand has even gotten lower, but because supply has dropped so much, that's what dictates the prices, which is very emotional driven. That's why I don't like residential properties. But in the commercial world, we haven't had that big run up yet, but we've seen rents rise the first half of 2021. It's all completely obvious what's happening and cap rates are dropping. You're having cap rate compression, but it's not to a place where your average internet investor is like jumping into commercial properties quite yet, right? Maybe this time next year, for sure. There'll always be deals because what makes for investment of banks lend money at X and the cap rates are Y. And there's always a difference between X minus Y. There will always be a differential or always be a difference. And then you apply leverage and that's how you make yield. The cap rates will always be making yielding more than interest rates in a world where gravity works. I'm sure it could go backwards for a little bit. I don't think it ever has, but that's what makes the world run. I think what you're getting to is, hey, what if I wait? If you wait, the best time to do anything was yesterday. They always change, like, for example, infinite banking. They always change the rules. Best time was yesterday. Best time to buy that rental was yesterday. It's just constantly going to be that. You guys are just like making it tough when you're guys doing this. (laughs) Just be prudent, stoic, and just constantly dollar cost averaging into stuff that makes sense and it's difficult now because you're getting started but to me that's the outlook that you have you don't need to be like me and have a hundred percent of my stuff in alternate investments that's for sure i totally respect if you want 20 to 50 percent into paper assets that's fine but over time the kind of the, the percentage definitely goes to the alternative asset size you look at i see in this group of tiger 21 it's all 10 million dollar families and above all paper assets they don't own like mutual funds and stuff like that. I, I do think that we'll always try to be conventional in some manner from our perspective, but I have a job to do and just convince my spouse that this is you know legit and try to jump into one of these like more conventional deals you do. Let's talk about that a little bit. Your spouse, do they work too or what do they 
You guys are single income. She, she works. She makes more than me and she's in tech. Good for you, man. She's really involved in our finances and okay. wants to have a say. Did I send you those the videos from our um, bubble event? We had like a spouses panel. I, I can send him an email later. And I guess everybody listening, if you guys want the spousal tips and webinars, she me an email with the subject line spouse, and then we can send it off to you guys too. The takeaway is everybody does it differently. It's just like every sick parent. You never tell another person what to do because they always just turn around, do it their own way. And you shouldn't talk about it. But we talk about it in our group and we acknowledge the fact that everybody has different marriage structures, different ways of dealing. Some your spouse is involved, which I think is good. Some don't care, but tell you absolutely you can't do anything. That's the most frustrating thing. So I guess be grateful that's not the case. Sometimes you have to make deals, right? Like marriage is a negotiation. Did your spouse out of your family and their family, which had more money growing up? It was about the same, but our backgrounds are completely different. I'm coming from a farm. She comes from the Bay Area. We, we have a similar background. Whenever you're working with differences in people, it's always cool to understand the backgrounds of the people that you understand more. Some things I notice a lot of times is when like the spouse, if they didn't come from money, then they're really going to like in the scarce mindset kind of way. Again, not a bad thing. That's just how they are. They, they want to mm-hmm. cling on to the house. So that home equity thing is a big thing, which doesn't seem like the case here. I think that's the cool thing with people who had money, lower middle class. We're not talking like low, low end, but they know that they'll be okay. So they're okay with you doing things like taking money out of your HELOC and refinancing or renting. You're not owning. You don't need to own, right? But in this case, it might have an issue with the retirement fund. I don't know if you've ever had that discussion. Okay, if I were to do one of them, take a couple hundred thousand, which is a very small minority of the whole net worth out of retirements or our home equity, which one would you prefer? That's a good starting point and why. Yeah. And I do think it's going to towards the 401k because it affects me and my potential retiring early. And it may be more like palatable to her to accept that. Something I've picked up from Chris Voss seminar, he's a never split the difference. Funny, he puts you in a high stakes like hostage negotiation. <laughs> One of the tactics in the book, if you can pay attention, is like when you negotiate, and you're in a negotiation in this case, that you right. label the other side. So then you, know, you ask the question, you know, so it doesn't mean that you, you rather have the security in your house is what I'm hearing. You label them so you get the conversation going. Right? No, I'm not. I just think that, and then you know, the retirement stuff is more your long-term thing and your you retire and that type of stuff. And that's what our family wants. And then you draw out the information as opposed to each side stonewalling. But it sounds like you have, sounds like a totally functioning relationship to me. Just got to figure out, you're not going to go balls to the wall in the first year or two for sure but yeah. which of the two is the lesser and in this case it's the maybe leaving the home equity alone a little bit and going after retirement i think that's what i'm going to do yeah. good segue we've talked about the home equity so it's your plan of attack is probably the home the retirement fund like you said you can take a loan on it i don't buy the whole thing about paying yourself interest it's just, it's just like a HELOC that the interest paid is a wash anyway. Next investment, you're just going to take a loan for the retirement or something like that. Is that the plan? Yeah. Well, I guess my options would be withdraw penalty with a penalty or take the loan. And then I have my current employer's account and then I have my own self-directed IRA. So those are really like the options I'm playing with. Yeah. Okay. You have some IRA 401k money that has with a so previous employer. 
that you haven't rolled right. over yet. I think one one rule is you never really want to roll it over. You just want to keep it how it is. Because once you roll it over to the existing employer, now it's probably stuck there. Actually, what I did was I rolled it over into my own self-directed IRA. So none of my previous employers have my 401ks. What's your plan? Let's talk about it, what the tax yeah. implications are. Currently, my plan would be to take the loan out of my current employer. There's very little risk that I'm going to, I'll work there at least five to 10 years. I had to have to pay the loan back either at time of when I'm terminated or terminate the employment over the life of the loan. I think it's like a 10-year term. Again, we're talking about loans, right? We're not talking about withdrawals. Okay. So for the folks listening, your loans, you're not taking it out, right? It's the withdrawals that now triggers the taxable event, shows up as income. What, what we're doing here is we're dancing around it, and which is fine for now. If you were more gung-ho about this stuff, I would say just take it out. And in this case, if we were, let's just play that scenario out. Where approximately is your adjusted gross income? Mine's about two fifty individually. Uh, what about combined married? Okay, sorry, you guys are screwed. You guys are in a tough spot because ideally, what you want to do is married file jointly. Right now, we try and keep people under three thirty because that's when you really start to get hammered with taxes. And again, if you guys are listening to this in the future, these things, the tax brackets dance around a little bit, but the same idea. Um, probably should prevail. You want to leak money out of your 401k slowly as withdrawals so you don't go into that next higher tax bracket. It is whatever, if that's your plan. But ideally, you'd like to stay under there. If you guys made $200,000 a year, Marifel jointly, you could take 130 out theory and not be too bad. That'd probably be a good bet because you're probably paying a less, less tax bracket today than in the future. So I need to encourage her to take a pay cut or change jobs and take a pay cut. Yeah, both of you guys make high salaries. And for those of you guys in that situation, it might make sense to just suck it up and just work, burn burn the candle on both ends a little bit longer. As opposed to some of our plans that have like disproportionate incomes, like doctors and stay-at-home spouses. That's the ideal strategy right now. They can do real estate professional status strategy and use the passive losses to offset income. Of course, there's a lot of hoops to jump through with that rep status strategy, and we're not going to get into that now. They, they have a little bit more options where you guys are... Good news, you can make a lot of money. As far as taxes options, there isn't too many, right? And I think now you start to look at less desirable options or exotic options, such as like land conservation easements, or be on, be on the lookout on these next solar credits coming out with the next infrastructure bill. Who knows what happens with that, but that, that's where I would be looking out to next. Or if one of you guys are burnt out part-time, right? Like like I said, you guys have enough dry powder liquidity. You should just be able to make $100,000 a year. The, the fact that you guys are not is on you guys. That's just a choice mm-hmm. that you guys are making. But you should have that much income coming in that I think that will sustain life for you guys. Most people in our group are pretty frugal. I don't know why you guys are going to work tomorrow, but you are. But that just takes a time to understand how this all works because right now this is what frustrates me. Everybody's stuck in these 401k, 529 garbage investments. And that's why y'all are still working right now. Make more and then you try to defer your salary to, you know, Yeah, pay it at our tax bracket in the future. That's exactly what the government wants. I don't think they meant to do that because I don't think the government is that smart. But in a way, they have a a pretty much blank check on all your money right now, the retirement on the 529 and not 529 because technically you use it for education expenses. They can't touch it. But 
your 401k, you're going to pay taxes on that eventually in your IRA. And who knows what that is at the moment? We won't know until I retire. Yeah, but I'm betting that's going to be higher than what you are now. But the game is what we're try- going to try and take it out or withdraw it at some opportune time from in the now to the next few decades when the opportunity to jailbreak it out, lower tax means is there. Right? Get it, get it, it's good. Um, right yeah. now, for you guys, you don't have very many right now. But what we do know is like if the money is in there now, it's not making jack. It's just in retail investments. But the yeah. idea is to take it out slowly to get it into good stuff which you're still trying to land on your feet a little bit. So I get that, but just do it in a tax smart way. Some people are like, oh, they, they come in and they're like, screw this. This is mess. I'm going to take all my money out of that stuff, right? Really? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if you can invest that quickly. And you just want to be a little smart about this. That's just going to balloon your adjusted gross income. You're going to pay a boatload of taxes on that. Mm-hmm. Just fly under the radar. Stay under a certain threshold. Leak it out slowly is the idea. But, but for now, you're just going to do loan and that's fine. You don't really trigger taxes at that point. Another hang up people get emotionally is they're like, I have to pay to make these loan payments, right? To myself. That's just an emotional thing. Yeah. I mean, if it really bothers you, just set aside a certain amount and take extra to pay it. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really bother me. It's just it's moving money around in different pockets, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's that's the hard thing is like people, first of all, they get emotionally tied that this is a retirement plan you're taking money out of your retirement and make no mistake we're not doing that this stuff we're not going and buying like fun vacations with that money right, for long-term savings in retirement but it's not going to be an account with the government for your future so in regards to the loan do you know and there's certain requirements that i need to abide by to take the loan right or can i just take the loan freely yeah so that's what i was like I, I'm not sure on that, but usually they want you to have some kind of hardship thing or or you're buying a house, which you're not. So I would think the only thing you guys have is the hardship rule. And I think at this point, it's going to be hard for you guys. Good luck. You can get the loan. All roads just can take the thing out. Yeah, we'll see if we can get it. If not, I guess we'll do withdrawals. I'm pretty sure you can't take a loan where you guys at. There's no, there's no opportunity yeah. for, for that type of stuff. I've had, I've seen people like lie and say we're using it for our home equity because something broke in the kitchen, bath yeah. model, and then turn around and use the money for something else. I don't know how legal that is, but whatever, yeah. I guess. But you're, you're probably not going to lie. And so they're, you're probably going to come back. All right, the loan is eliminated as a set of options. So you got to either choose it, withdraw money from your retirement and, or take a loan from your HELOC. So when you come back to your boss, which is your wife, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I'll be optimistic. She was gun ho for the county line, and I think she'll uh, she'll go for it for the loan, the HELOC. Yeah, and yeah. I I would recommend doing that. Yeah. So I think what I'll do is I'll just lay it out that I'll try to sacrifice my four hundred one k temporarily, and then that probably won't work out, and then I'll land into the HELOC. Yeah, boozling her in a way. Uh, I just can't share this with her. Yeah, don't worry. We'll probably we'll probably release this months later. So there you got go. a lot of time. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just look to hopefully I can draw on that HELOC that I already set up now anytime. And when I see a good deal come by, I'm, I'm probably going to jump in. Yeah. And what you have right now, I'm sure will get you going for the next six months to you. But you got a lot of equity there. So I would go look for, I would shop around. There's a lot of disparity between rates and on the value. But what you're looking for is like 80% on the value the same rate or better for mm-hmm. the most part. And, and I think there's another emotional thing. People are like, oh my goodness, this guy's got 3.2% and 
I want three, I want to get that. I don't want to get 4%. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Playing, playing a different ball game than most people because you're yeah. using the money for something else to go make more money. But yeah, I think that will probably get you going for a couple of years. And I think once we get into the first deal and we get that first check, I think it's going to help me with my negotiations with the boss. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. yeah. So we're good on that subject. I think the next thing on your list was... Yeah, college savings. So you're a new father, a father. I've taken the conventional road with the 529 plans and you recently posted about that, right? So Yeah, 529 plans, they're just like 401ks, right? The jacked up thing about them is they keep you within a set of options that they want you to take because they're high fees and they, they're crap. And that's my only beef with it. If you can self-direct, you can self-direct your retirement funds. That's fine. I still don't recommend doing that. And you can, I think you can self-direct your 529 yourself. But it's, yeah, it's very limited, right? If anything, the Coverdell is better because it, that one you have, Coverdell is like a self-directed 529. There's more options that you can invest in. But if you're investing in real estate, grows tax-free anyway, right? That's why you do real estate. So it negates all the reasons for using the stuff, in my opinion. I just think if you, grow, if you invest in cash, you can pay so much less taxes if you're smart because you get the passive activity losses that it negates any of these types of traditional, conventional things. Traditional and conventional, if you haven't been tipped off yet, you guys, that's when you get slaughtered with the cows. It's not a good plan to go conventional, in my opinion. But what I would do for education is I would do like an infinite banking policy and just have that as earmarked money, especially if your kids are a little bit older. Just put it in there for safekeeping. But now your kids are younger. My kids, like the youngest they can get for the most part. Now's the time where you want to be more aggressive, right? Yeah. So unfortunately, I did get aggressive with the 529. So at this point, I don't know how I could get out of the 529 without taking a penalty. What do you got in there? I've got two kids, about 80 grand each. It is what it is. You can just leave it in there. Just let it do what it's going to do. And this kind of goes to not everybody needs to be 100% like alternative investments. And if you want some stocks, there's your stocks right there. Yeah. I think that the risk-adjusted return isn't that great but you're trying to satisfy some diversification in terms of different asset classes. There you go. But the, I would say maybe stop doing it. You could take it out too, mm. but you already have money to invest. So just leave it where it's at for now. Yeah. yeah. Just no, I wouldn't yeah. put more to it. Does that sound like it? Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty much where I'm at now. And I do just designate it as like diversification against yeah. alternative. I, I got some flack for that post because like people are like, you're such an a-hole. Dare you get rid of your kid's education fund? Like, dude, chill out, man. I have my other retirement and I've got all these like money elsewhere. Just because I don't call it a 529 plan, you know, it's not a 529 plan. doesn't mean I don't have a kid's college. Like I'm not heartless, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. people, I don't know, anything with kids. Yeah. So you never want to give parenting advice. Because people are like, it's so like. It's very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So for the record, folks, I do have a college savings plan. I just don't put it in that 529 plan. And I'm sorry if I offend you guys for saying that stuff is nonsense, but it is. You're putting in exactly the stuff that they want you to put in with all these big brokerages and their cafeteria garbage option. I'm okay with the 529 idea in general, but I'm not okay with the options they give you to invest. It's very limited. Yeah. Yeah. But even with that said, I don't like the 529 because what if your kid doesn't go to college too? Yeah. I would just make a boatload of money. I don't yeah, have to yeah. worry about it. Yeah. And this is something uh, I got really frustrated the other day. 
a lot of people, especially here in Hawaii, have a million dollars of equity in their houses that are grandparents. And they, their goal in life is to pay off their mortgage. A million dollars, put it into something. I always use AHP. They sponsor the show too, but they're just an example of a very lazy type of investment fund where you can get 8%, 8% I think now. Then used to be 10%. It used to be 12% actually a long time ago. If you have a million dollars of equity at 10%, that's a hundred grand a year. Shoot, that pays for college for three kids today, a private. I forget how much it will cost, but I'm like, why don't you, like, grandma, grandpa, why don't you get a home equity loan and put it, you know, get your money working? And, but their thought process is they don't, they just don't know about this stuff too. But to me, it's a little selfish because it's like they're putting their security higher than they could be paying for their kids' college today, and or that could be growing to so much more. 18 years from now. It's just, it's probably bad that I call it selfish. It's just they're ignorant to the fact that you can do this type of stuff and we're all brainwashed to do exactly what they're doing, right? But mm-hmm. I just got frustrated the other day. This is very prevalent. Very true. We're just taking uh, advantage of that gift, you know, the gifting. Yeah, it, it comes down to being good stewards with wealth, right? Some people have wealth and they don't do anything with it. They, they just squander it for the rest of their life. Other people, you know, they understand the risks and prudent debt and they, they're able to have it grow or stay where it's at. 90% of people or 90% of wealth leaves family in two or three generations for a reason. Right. Good point. But yeah, the 520, if I were you, um, I know you got other investable funds. I'll just leave it where it's at. It is what it is. 160 yeah. grand in 10, 20 years isn't going to be enough. They say Stanford in 18 years will be $450,000. Yeah. Apparently the side door is closed now. I watched that Netflix special. A bad joke though. The <laughs> one where all the, like, the rich parents were paying for their kids to get into yeah. the colleges. Yeah. You got to go in the back door and that's really expensive. Yeah. But yeah, well, so that, I don't know. It, all- it is what it is with the college stuff uh, for you. Yeah. I, I just, I'll look into if I ever need to withdraw a 10% penalty. It's some money, but it's not a whole lot. And yeah, it's very similar to some people like have really bad life insurance policies, right? The whole like policies mm-hmm. that were just configured the wrong way, but they're long lost college, high school friend that they never talked that yeah. takes them out to lunch and puts them into this really bad policy. In most cases, you can just 1035 into a new infinite banking, more friendly policy, but in some cases, just better just to throw the baby out with the bathwater to use another bad joke to to just get rid of the life insurance so the same thought process with the 520 right just go keep going with it it is what it is as opposed to just withdrawing and starting over again yeah but the like the infinite banking comes in because especially if you have a skeptic spouse at least that gets your money working at four or five percent tax-free it's you can sell them on the idea that it's off the table of litigators who doesn't like that? And it's not like you're putting the money out to an investment where there is perceived risk on investing with some dishonest person to infinite banking stays. It's way more, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's way more secure than any bank or any any like mutual fund. It's a life insurance. It's backed by some of the most like AAA credit rated companies that's been around since the Civil War. If you want anything more secure, I mean, go to a life insurance company, the good ones, right? the top rated ones, not one of these smoke. So that can be a way like for somebody in your shoes who has a lot of dry powder that you're going to responsibly deploy over the next several years, at least you're probably antsy to get it done, but your spouse 
probably want to pump the brakes. But yeah. as a compromise, maybe just do 50 grand, 100 grand a year into one of these infinite banking policies and invest out of it. But at least your money is working in that and it's building up that cash value over time. Yeah. It's to good to me, everybody on everybody over a million dollars network should have one of these things. It's a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. And again, we're talking to you, non credit investor who has no money. Don't do infinite banking. Don't get caught up in all the podcasts, marketing hype. It's not for you yet. There are some fees associated, of course, but in the long run, it makes more sense than not. Yeah. If you're new to this stuff and you hear all these ideas, you want to get moving, but you can't got the ball and chain in a way. But the infinite banking is a very logical idea, I think, that is very prudent and safe. Do you have any content? on that as far as the background of yeah yeah simple passive cash flow.com slash banking is the place right through all the webinars and stuff like that but if people want more in-depth we've recorded some faqs and then if people need like referrals to folks they can shoot me an email just put ibc in the subject line and i can send that to you yeah. it's a rabbit hole though first like when people come into the mastermind group because try and get them to get educated on syndication deals, right? Because the syndication deals is, first of all, you don't want to invest in a bad deal that somebody's going to steal your money. So that's the first thing we try and mitigate. So that's always like a third of the curriculum, right? Your first few months are focused on that. And then taxes, especially for somebody in your kind of income level, taxes is a big thing. But infinite banking is at the end of the first year. People, more, most times, people who like to loan will fit and do all this stuff themselves which I think is dumb because mm. good luck. I've took me so long and mistakes and wasted money to learn on my own. My own. But that's why we have a family office group, hold your hand and kind of teach you exactly what to do. And then we set you up with people within the group who've done it already. So you can go build a relationship in the process with that person that you can carry on forever and talk whatever investing or deals that you want to talk about. Or, and more importantly, the soft subjects, right? How do you pass this off to your kids? without them becoming income groups. But then you talk with them, the pros and cons, how they did their infinite banking policy, why they did $75,000 instead of $25,000. Why did they do $250,000 a year, for example? Mm -hmm. And then you come up with your own idea, you formulate it, and then we send you off to all the tax legal guys after you've already had your plan. Because in most cases, if you go off to a professional, they're just going to sell you what they're trying to sell you there's so there's so many things in this financial world that's just a bunch of products you really need somebody who's going to architect it and that's going to be you you got to be educated and empowered to talk intelligently and to know what you don't want but yeah the infinite banking is at the tail end of it it's a huge rabbit hole mm. for sure huge yeah. in terms yeah. of learning it you know most people who've done it say there's a lot of stuff on it but just get it then and don't complicate it like, just Get, get like a policy, like my my golden rule is start off with a third of your annual net. So if you guys, I don't know how much you guys net at the end of the year, but maybe you guys net $120,000 to savings. You could put that to maybe four houses a year if you wanted to. If you wanted, if you didn't value your time and energy, you could buy four turnkey rentals with that. <laughs> right. But my general rule on infinite banking is start off with at least a third of your net every year. And then... That way you learn how infinite banking works. You take loans from it, you invest it, then we have more money, you put it back in there, you learn how it works. And so it's always good to start off with a little bit of a test investment first, and then then go bigger. My, my first one that I did for myself was $50,000 a year. And then I did bigger after that, after I got the hang of it. But yeah, if you guys 
net 120,000 after income minus expenses at the end of the year, do 40 grand every year. But because mm-hmm. you have like liquidity in a way, I think based on the little bit I've refreshed myself in this last 30 minutes, hour talking, mm-hmm. I think you should, you guys should probably do 50 to hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Because you have all that home equity not doing check. Right. What you want to do is take that and put it into here for now. Because you can take it right back on the next day as a moment. That's the whole point. That's what you're trying to do in banking. From, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in fact, I would probably do a hundred grand just shooting from the hip or at least okay. 40 grand a year for five to six years. I always like to do the shorter period personally. The insurance salesman's always like going to try and get you the longer one so they get more commissions. Yeah. They don't have to deal with you less every 10 years instead of every six years. But that's just, that's just my take on it. But we got a lot of content on it. Um, just shoot me an email the subject line okay. and then I can, I can give you the videos and then I'll connect you once you've studied up. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. At least you can do something, right? Cause you're, it's fun. Stuff is fun. Yeah. It's different and it's, but it's totally different. Like who do you talk to about this stuff? It's kooky. Yeah. I've, I've haven't heard of it until now. So yeah. I mean, yeah. it's interesting stuff. Yeah. And, and what frustrates frustrating is like, Everything in mainstream financial advice, if you look up Dave Ramsey, he absolutely tears this whole life thing apart. You know, he says it's a total scam. And I'm like, dude, you're not even, we're not even configuring it the way you're talking about. And we're using it for something totally, he says, well, get, if it's for, if it don't get whole life, get term life. That's, that's what life insurance is for. But see, we're doing it for a totally different way. The wealthy use things very differently. We're doing this as a way to put money in and suck it right back out as a loan from ourselves. And taking mm-hmm. money off the table of litigators. That's all we're doing. And the fact that it's life insurance, that's because if we can keep it under this, what's called MEC level, we don't have to pay taxes. So it's a tax loophole is what it is. It's a tax loophole that the Congress, people in Congress made that we're just following. We're no dummy. So it makes you wonder who, who Ramsey's representing to, to poo-poo well, it, right? he's not representing anything. I think he, I think he does a good job. Him and Susie Orman and a lot of these people, they just cater towards majority of people the conventional traditional people the conventional traditional people are horrible with their finances they just can't seem to save more money than they make and or they just don't make more than fifty thousand dollars a year and i'm sorry if that's you i went to college and i was lucky enough to go and i'm in the situation where i am and i think some people in this world are in the same situation Mm -hmm. but they play by a different set of paradigms than the people who are still at financial one-on-one level in a way so i i think dave ramsey i think their heart is in the right place but it's totally guided towards other people argument about buying a house not buying a house like i i personally believe that you shouldn't buy a house unless your net worth is two times three times greater than what the house is worth so if you if, if your house is two million dollars you shouldn't buy a house to your net worth of six million that's very unconventional thought yeah. yeah, the house is a drag. You need to be investing, growing your money instead of sinking it in a house, not too much, just going with the pace of inflation. But for the Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman people in the world, a house is a for savings account. It's something that they put a thousand, two thousand dollars a month to. If not, they'd spend it like mm-hmm. little kids. It's just, there's paradigms in the world. You need to figure out which side of the paradigm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but just do the math. The math. At the end of the day, the math will tell you what to do. You just need to go in with a very different mindset, yes. I'll bring that paradigm uh, concept up when I'm negotiating with the boss. Yeah, I do it to myself all the time. Like I think the biggest thing that I see successful people have is an open mind and mm-hmm. they look at something very without any emotion or prejudices attached. Like something that happened to me 
lately. Like I'm doing this for fun, like this exotic car hacking course. It's kind of, it's really cool. But like the whole idea of leasing a car, for some reason, I thought that was a good idea. Not too long ago. Yeah. I, I leased a car a year or two ago. And I thought it made sense for me, especially because I was using it for business and I was able to write it off. But what they showed me was like, they showed the numbers and they showed how wrong that thinking was. And the whole premise about car hacking is there's a depreciation schedule when it goes down and then you want to buy it when it's low and then when maybe when it comes up or it doesn't just bleed depreciation as, as heavily. Like that's essentially the hacking of it all. But yeah, I was really gung-ho about thinking leases were good. Now I see the light and I'm sure my ideas would change in the future. So <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind. Fine. This is not financial advice. Yeah. But, but yeah, anything else? Yeah, the family office uh, mastermind. I've looked into that. I'm considering it. I don't think I'm ready yet, but I will probably eventually. Well, I don't think you're never ready for it. I think you're just, you need to do that now. In fact, now's the time to be doing it. Like <laughs> you're starting from square one. This, you know, It's like shooting an arrow. Now's the time to figure yeah. out, get something where you're shooting in the right cow. Yeah. yeah. I'll let you know when I am ready and hopefully it's sooner than later. Yeah. When you got five hours a month to dedicate to something, that's that's when you know we have over 75 80 people in there but yeah it's not for everybody yeah. if you want to just keep doing it on your own that's cool too for me it's just deploying my capital yeah. first i got to get through the boss and then i got to put some numbers together of how that investment would return in I, our household i think we have like at least a 2x maybe 3x guarantee that you get that the first year back yeah Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll stick this in the archives with the other coaching calls. And then if you guys want to learn more about that, family office group, go to simplepassivecastle.com slash journey. And I'll see you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.